When it comes to self-development, no matter the method you use, the vital point is to practice. If you're ready to transform your life and claim the potential inside of you, then you are in the right place. Welcome back to the Vital Point Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Schechter. I'm a transformation coach, breathwork facilitator, and overall fan of personal growth. You have the capacity to evolve and bring your intentions and dreams into the world. And there's never been more access to so many incredible modalities that can help you on your journey. This podcast will help you learn simple methods you can use to transform your life and share the stories of practitioners who are doing the work so that you feel inspired to go and practice because that's the vital point. Today, we close out season six with a recap of my experience at the MAPS Psychedelic Science Conference. It seemed like a good thing to end on and the season on. A lot of people have been asking about it. It was just a nice thing to uh, talk about because it was really this watershed moment. So if you've been living under a psychedelic rock or if your life doesn't revolve around psychedelics, uh, and you don't know what I'm talking about. Last week was the biggest psychedelic conference in history so far in Denver, put on by MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. And it was called Psychedelic Science 23. If you're not familiar with MAPS, they're a nonprofit research and educational organization that develops medical legal and cultural context for people to benefit from the careful use of psychedelics and marijuana. That's from their website. And uh, they're involved in the legislation and lobbying, advocating for um, MDMA approval by the FDA. They also have a MDMA therapy program protocol that they've developed. They've created the Zendo project, which is focused on harm reduction and um, general education in the space. And they put on this huge conference, which was massive. Uh, there was 12,000 people there. The last time they did a conference, uh, there was 3,000 people there. So exponential growth. Um, and, you know, the psychedelic space is growing exponentially. Uh, there was a story this week in the Wall Street Journal that estimated that the psychedelic drug market, which includes companies engaging in research and trials to legalize the use, is expected to reach $11.8 billion by 2029, which is up from the $4.9 billion that it's estimated to be worth in 2022. And so there is a gold rush, if you will, um, of different people, different companies, different interests rushing into the space. It's wild. You know, I think a gold rush is a good way to, <laughs> to describe it. And so 12,000 of us and more actually, because I think there was a whole scene happening outside of the conference, um, kind of like a music festival or a Grateful Dead show, you know, um, but, you know, at least 12,000 people descended on Denver for this amazing conference. 
And the sort of tagline that Maps used for their marketing was, be part of the breakthrough. I didn't expect the conference to be so much like a psychedelic ceremony. I think I expected it to be like a, a conference, um, maybe a little bit like a trade show. I had looked at this really cool app that Maps put out, you know, describing all the different speakers and panels and events. And I also had my own specific intentions that I was going with, but I didn't expect it to be so psychedelic. And that might seem silly. You're like, well, it's a psychedelic conference, but that's just it. It was a conference. It's not like we all went to, you know, drink ayahuasca together. And while I'm absolutely positive that there were people that were imbibing um, during the conference, I can neither confirm nor deny that I was microdosing a few of the days. Um, I still expected it to be like a conference. And so I, I was a little bit surprised just at how impactful the experience was on me. In fact, I was, I was joking with a friend as we were leaving. I said, you know, we're going to need an integration circle to unpack the conference. So I think, I guess that's the place that I want to begin, you know, was, um, I left early on Saturday morning, the, the conference, uh, there were two days of workshops Monday and Tuesday, and then three days of conference. And the workshops, by the time I got my ticket, which I'll get into in a second, but, uh, all the workshops were, were sold out, um, which was kind of a bummer. I was on the waiting list for a holotropic breathwork workshop with, uh, Stan Groff and didn't get into that friend of mine that I was there with did. There were 240 people in the workshop. So just, uh, what a, what an amazing experience that must've been to been a part of, but I did the three days of the conference and conference ended on Friday and I left really early Saturday morning and the sun was coming up as I was in the cab driving to the airport and I found myself getting really overwhelmed with emotion, just kind of reflecting on how transformative the conference had actually been. And it was really, really surprising. And, you know, I was, I was taking notes sort of through the days and the, the note that I wrote as I was leaving was I'm leaving with a heart heavy with all the love I've received and shared. And that receiving really was this theme throughout this experience, throughout this sort of extended ceremony, because it, it really did feel like a ceremony. You know, there's, there's things that happen in ceremony in the middle of that psychedelic journey, um, that are really expansive that make me 
feel very optimistic about what's possible. I mean, that's, that's one of the reasons that we need integration and integration coaches and things like that, right? Is there's things that happen in the ceremony and you're like, oh yeah, this is possible. Of course. And then you come out of the ceremony and a few days pass and the afterglow starts to fade and the sort of human limitations start to come back online. And then you've got to work to actually integrate that experience that you had. And you can integrate it because you've actually experienced it, because you've tasted it, because you know that it's possible. And that was kind of my experience there. And it's still something that I'm unpacking and working on and reflecting on and journaling about and talking about with people. And, you know, this podcast is in a way (laughs) a part of that process, you know, so let's just start with how I got there. I was lucky enough and I feel really grateful to have been invited um, by my friend, CEO and founder of Empathic Health and an Empathic Society, uh, Douglas Finkelstein. And so I got to go and help with their booth. Um, So Empathic Health is a private community uh, focused on integration and community support. And then out of that has evolved an empathic society, which is um, a nonprofit that is helping to kind of scale the integration circle aspect of empathic health. And um, I'm one of the facilitators. Uh, I do integration circles and um, kind of these circles that meld um, breathwork and integration, integrative breathwork experience. And um, so we went to gather donations and to sign people up for the over 50 integration circles that are currently on the calendar between now and September. Also to talk to people that are running retreat centers, because that's also one of the things that um, Douglas wants to focus on is providing integration support and logistics for retreat centers so that people that are going to these retreats don't just have like one session after the retreat's done. They can actually continue that integration together, continue to stay connected, to be bonded. And, uh, you know, as one of the facilitators, I got to, to go and to participate in that. I feel super, super grateful about that. Um, by the way, definitely you should check out the, uh, the integration circles. They're very affordable and that's part of, um, the mission of an empathic society, the, uh, donations for the integration circle start at $6, um, for my breathwork circles, they are $11. And, um, so definitely go to empathic.health to check that out. Um, I'll definitely put the link on the show page as well. I I had fun working at the booth and talking to people about integration and breath work and, you know, things that I'm really passionate about. And 
also just meeting people, meeting people that I've followed online, meeting people that I know online that I've had conversations with or that I've had on the podcast and uh, just actually connecting to them. Yeah. (laughs) One of my podcast guests, it was funny. We we ended up uh, meeting in person (laughs) and he just, you know, he gave me a hug and he said, Oh, you're, you're a real person. You have a body. And uh, I just thought that was really funny. Um, So there's something to just meeting in that three dimensions and just, you know, getting to connect deeper with people that I've been connecting through um, Blue Magic Alchemy, through the podcast, through breath work, all these things. And as I've mentioned, and I'll probably continue to mention, super excited because I met so many uh, people that are going to be on the podcast uh, that I'm really excited about. Just amazing, amazing things coming. The conference itself was massive. The sort of essence of it that I thought was that it was kind of this choose your own adventure. There was so much to do all at one time. There was a lot of, you you could get into as much as you wanted to. And I feel like, a hundred different people could have a hundred different experiences just based on the fact that like at any one time there was between six and 10 different presentations and panels and talks. There was this whole wing of sort of chill out rooms, meditation rooms, um, contemplative study rooms, um, peer support rooms, a room with therapy dogs, you know, like this whole sort of wing for I'm overstimulated and I need to chill out. And that was really great because I spent the first day and I guess really like the first couple of days since we were, you know, we would go during the workshop days before the actual conference started and we were setting up the booth. And so I was spending a lot of time in this vendor village where there was so much energy and so many people and so much overstimulation. And then you could go down into sort of the bowels of the Denver Convention Center and it would go from this just overstimulation, psychedelic marketing free-for-all and it would get to a place where it was almost like a library where like you weren't seeing as many people, even the people you were seeing weren't talking. And I don't know if you've ever been in like a, a really big library, but it that's what it reminded me of. It reminded me of being in the uh, Los Angeles Central Library downtown where there's areas that are very loud and then areas where there's just so much stillness. And that was really nice to, you know, to be able to get away from the overstimulation of the main floor of the vendor village and relax. You know, there was one day where I woke up really late and I didn't have a chance to do my morning meditation. And so after I'd been there for a couple hours, I, I wandered down into 
uh, one of the meditation rooms that was sponsored by Naropa University. And they had uh, these beautiful altars set up, meditation cushions that you could practice on. Facing the other direction was this beautiful mandala that you could look at and contemplate. Yeah, there was so much to do all at once. And that was really cool. You know, there were definitely time slot conflicts. There were times where I had to choose, uh, what do I want to do right now? This is really hard. And then there was this whole deep space area sponsored by Dr. Bronner's, which was this uh, interactive art sort of experiential area. There was a ton of art in it. Some of it being created live. Some of it curated. I saw new Alex Gray pieces. I saw beautiful psychedelic visionary art that I just was just so inspiring. Uh, there was this piece that I've seen pictures of online, but I, they had the actual piece there of uh, Trump and Putin and Kim Jong-un uh, in ceremony in the jungle like purging with the shaman there <laughs> singing Icaros and uh, you know, sort of done in the ayahuasca visionary art style, which is really cool. There's this huge Android Jones piece, uh, amazing art from Alex Gray and Allison Gray and just a ton of amazing artists. Um, you know, and in that area, there were different experiential workshops, breath work and music and um, different altars. It was definitely more of what I, what I guess I think of as psychedelic because there was a lot of focus on the science and the industry and the capitalism. And so that's the next thing I wanted to get into was I feel like, and this isn't limited to the conference. This is really like a meta perspective on life in general, but that there were different storylines and different experiences happening for people, depending on your perspective, depending on your thoughts about the future of the psychedelic industry of capitalism. There was definitely a narrative about the lack of indigenous representation. And I'm not here to say whether that was right or wrong. I actually, especially the first day, I actually felt kind of jaded about the quote unquote industry. I started to question whether it was a good idea or not. And, you know, I also think that that comes from the perspectives and opinions that I came in with and the narratives that I want to follow. I'm really going to agree with uh, Dennis Walker here from Micropreneur. You, you know, he, he was on the podcast. It hasn't been published yet. 
that's coming next season. And I'm really excited to share it with you. But one of the things that he says during that conversation and that I've heard him say before is that regardless of whether you're pro or anti sort of capitalist involvement and, you know, psychedelic industry, it's happening. It's happening whether you want it to or not. It's happening regardless of how you feel about it. And it's not going anywhere. It's literally here to stay. And there's more to be gained by being curious, by engaging in dialogue, by asking questions, than by just being like, no, like, this isn't what I'm about. I don't agree with this. The thing about capitalism, the thing, the thing about our medical model in our society is that it doesn't align with a holistic approach. It doesn't align with this indigenous shamanic approach, partially because it's that shamanic approach is not quantifiable. Ayahuasca, it's really difficult to quantify it in the way that science, and I say that in quotes, needs to. How are you going to quantify or explain through science an ikaro, the energy and patterns in the textiles of the Shipibo? And that's I think one of the most curious things about this watershed moment that we're in is that psychedelics inherently open us up to the transpersonal, open us up to the mystical, open us up to the mystery of everything that's outside of what we can see, of what we can quantify. It gives us this glimpse that what we think of as reality is just a glimpse of the entire whole. And I'm not sure how that's going to mesh with our medical model, with a scientific model, because there's just things that we can't explain through that model. And when you experience them through psychedelics, you don't have to question that. You don't have to quantify it because you're experiencing it. And even to say like psychedelic, that's so vague and broad in general. To me, working with different psychedelic medicines can be completely different experiences, completely different processes you're working with different energies, different spirits of these medicines. And just the way that we've been conditioned to think about medicine as far as something's wrong with me, I'm going to take this pill that a doctor says I should, and then that's all I have to do. That is not what psychedelics are about at all. And if you approach psychedelics in that manner, you're going to be disappointed. 
you're going to find yourself coming back again and again, being like, why isn't this working? Because the psychedelic is just going to shine a light on what actually needs to change the work that needs to be done. And there's going to be things that are happening on a subtle and energetic level that are getting reorganized. Yeah. But there's work that happens before and after the psychedelic. It's not a panacea. It's not a magical pill. So while I won't agree a hundred percent with this narrative that there wasn't any indigenous representation at the conference, I can definitely see why people felt that way from a certain perspective. Uh, two of the panels that I went to actually were hosted by indigenous people. One of them was the, um, a discussion of the Mazatec um, people in Mexico and their relationship to sacred mushrooms. And one of the things that these elders shared was that like one of the biggest problems in their community was this psychedelic tourism was Western people showing up without the respect for the medicine, without respect for the culture and just gimme, gimme, gimme looking for this quick fix. And they said, you know, a real healer, a real medicine person isn't going to give you mushrooms right off the bat. That's not how we work. That's not the only way that we have for healing. And so be careful about <laughs> somebody waiting for you at the airport, trying to rent you a cabin and sell you mushrooms. Cause that's not how we work. So that being said, there, there was a protest, um, that there wasn't enough indigenous representation. If there was one thing that kind of concerned me in this area, I guess I would say I found it a little concerning that there were so many people that I met, especially at the booth that, you know, came up to my booth, wandering around the vendor village, you know, curious, Oh, what do you do? What's, what's an empathic society that had no psychedelic experience themselves. Some of them were curious, but they were going to wait for legal methods and avenues. Some of them were in the medical or mental health field and wanting to better serve their parent, their patients. And, you know, we all have to start somewhere and I get that there are going to be people that the only way that they're going to be open to working with psychedelics is legally, but that's, that's not my experience. And that's not the experience of a lot of people that I respect and that I look up to and that I am friends with in or out of this quote unquote industry. And I guess I'm really concerned about people facilitating and guiding 
other people in these experiences when they don't have experiences themselves. Because like I said, this work does dip into the transpersonal. It does dip into the unexplained, the mystical. It would be like if I wanted to hire a tour guide to show me around Denver or whatever. And I hired somebody that had never been there, but had read a few books about it. Well, I read some history books and, um, you know, I got this map here, but, uh, yeah, I've never been there. Never been to Denver. You can only take somebody as deep as you've been. And that's why it's so important to work with people that have experience and have done their own work and are seasoned in this space. It also makes me think of something that I studied during my breathwork certification, which was spiritual emergence, a term coined by Stan Groff to describe the ineffable, to describe the transformation that starts to happen when we're working with psychedelics, or sometimes it can just happen through other expanded states of consciousness, through breath work, through Kundalini, um, sometimes spontaneously. And the statistic that almost all people that are going through spiritual emergence and go and seek professional guidance Almost all of them end up pathologized or traumatized or have that emergence turned into an emergency because the person in the Western model that they went to see didn't understand, you know, that, and, and what a tragedy that is that, you know, you're going through this experience where the, the, the floor is actually absolutely fallen out. You are just free falling and trying to hold on to something and going through these tremendous changes and you reach out to someone for help. And then it ends up actually being more harmful. So that is my concern on the one hand. On the other hand, I also trust in what's happening. I trust in the medicines. I trust in the plants. I trust that even though capitalism and our culture that's very exploitive, that's very, that's coming from this like colonizing exploitive perspective, even though we can't stop that entirely, I trust that the medicines have a, a higher purpose, that they're working on subtle levels, that some of those people that might come in with a certain perspective are going to be changed by the medicine that they're working with and the plants that they're working with, um, that the energetic shifts that are happening from so many people working with these medicines 
are affecting things on a deeper level than maybe any one of us can know from this logical 3D perspective. And to go along with that, I also believe that even though there are going to be these lanes and these avenues of industry, that this is not a bad thing for the underground, which has been there, which will continue to be there. You know, I, I mean, if, if I look at cannabis as an example, for instance, there are people that are making a tremendous amount of money in the legal cannabis market. And there are some real tragedies as far as there's still people being put in jail or that are serving jail time as a result of the same plant. And there are people out operating outside of that industry for which things have become a lot easier, a lot more accessible. Uh, and I, I trust that things are happening in the psychedelic realm that maybe you're not as apparent yet, but there's gotta be a good, there's gotta be like something that's the good that's happening there. You know, there's, I think when we have these experiences and we integrate them, we become more embodied in a much more positive way. And this is something that, um, that my friend Cam said on his podcast recently that I really liked was like that the best way to create change in the psychedelic space is just to embody the change that we've experienced through psychedelics. I know in the last year, my mom has seemed more open to expanded states of consciousness. My dad and I had a conversation about microdosing psilocybin. Um, and I think we have the tendency to proselytize, to want to shout it from the rooftops and tell everybody about how amazing psychedelics are, I don't think that we necessarily have to do that. So yeah, I agree with Cam. The best way that we can continue to spread this movement is by embodying. And I think that there's an endless amount of things that we can get upset about, that we can have opinions about, the causes that we can get involved in. And yet how much of that actually affects me? Are there people that are going to treat this space in an exploitive manner and make lots of money off of it? Yeah. But how does that actually affect me and my life? You know, and is it better to just focus on the things that I can control? And are there going to be richer lanes for us opening up through industry. I believe so. You know, so many people in the last few months up in arms over the first uh, psilocybin therapy clinic opening up in Oregon and that they want to charge $3,500 for a single treatment when it's completely true that you could basically grow 
a lifetime's worth of psilocybin at home for a fraction of the cost for less than 10% of that. Yeah, that's true. That model is going to appeal to some people that never would have gone through the underground market. And there are people like my friends with silo health, for instance, that are developing community supported peer based models. Oh, it doesn't make sense to you to fly to Oregon and spend all this money on one or two. I mean, let's face it. How many psilocybin treatments are you going to do there? and then fly home and have no integration support? Or does it make more sense to connect to a local community of people that have experience and wisdom, people that can support you either holding space or facilitate, and then continue to support you, you know, before the experience, during the experience, after the experience, through integration, through protocols and best practices. These types of things are also happening. And I would rather focus my energy on those positive things than in complaining or trying to change the things that are honestly like seem like they're outside of my control. But that's just me. You know, everybody's different, right? And so in the, the words of Forrest Gump, I th think that's all I have to say about that. So back to the, uh, the conference experience, super amazing, went to some amazing after parties. Uh, I got to see Savage, uh, DJ there, which was a pretty cool experience. Um, that's been something I've been wanting to do for a while. Uh, then the conference started day one was absolute madness. I spent so much time in the vendor village and then got to experience the library effect that I mentioned earlier, walking towards the, the main theater and then walking into that main theater and seeing how many people were there was amazing. And I went in and saw, um, Andrew Huberman's keynote interview was really cool. After that first day went to a really, really cool after party, uh, with some really cool DJs, but I was mainly there to see East forest who did a very special ceremony. Um, and that part of the conference is something I'm still unpacking. It was really this amazing experience of how important set setting and dosage are and how they came together. Because even though I had only ingested a microdose, there was just something about the energy in that room that was very present. And that was where the, the whole thing that I talked about at the top of the podcast about receiving started to come in. I, I had this insight about I'm very open and capable of, of giving love, but that I had trouble receiving it. 
and that that was where my work was. And uh, that continued on into day two, where I finally made it into the deep space area. The first day, there were so many people I met that were like, have you been in deep space? Oh my God, it's amazing. And I'm like, no, I'm so busy. I didn't have a chance to go. And so I'm like, I got to get into deep space. And went in there and I was like, wow, this is amazing. So experiential. And I ended up uh, doing a workshop in there that was really cool. Yeah, there were such there were such cool workshops in there honoring our pain for the world and experiential ritual, sound activations. There was this really cool event that I went and supported friend and past podcast guest, Aaron Dumay. Uh, psychedelic, psychedelic storytelling. There was a Ram Dass thing in there where they played some really cool excerpts from talks and talked about Ram Dass and psychedelics. But one of the coolest things in there was this workshop that I did called Psychedelics Beyond the Binary, a deep dive into the in-betweens of good and bad, healing and hurtful, beautiful and traumatic. And I was really, really intrigued by the description of it, which was, let's talk about all of it, the good, the bad, the ugly, the messy, the vibrancy, and all that's in between. And that it was an interactive workshop designed to be a brave space where we could share stories of how psychedelics have impacted our lives and the lives of our loved ones and dismantle the idea that psychedelics are all bad or all good. And this was one of the coolest moments of the conference for me. And it's something that I've been dancing at around the edges. I haven't really talked about it too much on this podcast. I've talked a little bit about it. I, on when I was on cams podcast on the trip sitting podcast. Um, I think I talked a little bit about it on Beth's podcast as well, but Something that's been really important to me and my partner is that while psychedelics have been absolutely transformative for us, they've also been really traumatic for both of us. We both have experienced trauma in the medicine space. And if you're rolling your eyes and you're one of those people that are like, there's no such thing as a bad trip. You know, everything is just there to, to challenge you. I'm going to refer you to, uh, the words of <laughs> someone that I've been talking to that actually had a study that was, um, highlighted there about, um, the, the traumas and dangers of psychedelics where they said, you know, there's no such thing as a bad car accident. They're just experiencing a vehicular challenge. And while exploring my trauma is too much to get into on this particular podcast, it is something that I am going to be talking about soon, um, early next season. But this workshop was amazing. And I, you know, we, there's probably over a hundred people in it. Um, obviously mostly complete strangers. And I met somebody, 
right away and shared with them in depth this trauma that I, this traumatic experience that I went through and not only shared the trauma, but shared how it's transformed my life, transformed my work, transformed my purpose. And they held space for me in such a compassionate, beautiful way. And then I got to listen to their experience as well, which I don't think was as traumatic as mine. Not that it's a competition, you know, but there were some insights that they had about the experience as they were sharing it with me. And then maybe the coolest part of all that, like besides being seen and heard, which was kind of emotional, um, I found myself needing to like titrate and orient during the experience. But like we shared personal information, like I'm like, Hey, you want to connect? And then we went and had lunch together and just chatted. I think that was one of the coolest things about the conference was just being able to meet new people and connect with people in that way. Like I've never met you, but we're, we're connected. Let's be friends. So many hugs, so many connections happening in that way. Day three, I was pretty much ready to go. Uh, I got a second wind halfway through the day, but at the beginning of the day, I was just like, good God, why would anybody make this three days? And there was a lot happening that I missed out on. There was a after party the second night with Flaming Lips and Reggie Watts and Eric Andre that I would have loved to go to because the Flaming Lips put on an amazing live show. But I was so wiped out after uh, the first two days that I just knew I needed to take care of myself. You know, just like a music festival, it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And then I had to get up really early after the third day uh, to, to get on my flight home. Otherwise, I would have loved to go to the closing party with uh, Desert Dwellers. But you got to make... You got to make choices. And part of the reason, big part of the reason I was there was to network and to, you know, my, one of my intentions going there was to basically get <laughs> the, a lot of po new podcast guests. There's a couple of guests that I met that are on my podcast bucket list that not only did I get to talk to, but literally they are scheduled for upcoming podcasts, which is just amazing. So excited. So excited to share that with you. And so, yeah, I think that's my biggest takeaway was just the connection and community, meeting new people, meeting old friends, the people that I ended up talking to at lunch, you know, sitting around these tables, just striking up conversations, people in the deep space area, these experiential uh, workshops that I took part in. People that I talked to at our booth, having really neat conversations about people doing uh, research on psychedelic therapy for Palestinian refugees, old hippies, people that were curious that, you know, I'm like, come try some breath work. Cause if you've never had a psychedelic experience, 
and you don't want to jump into the deep end of the pool, breath work is a great gateway into that, you know, and just the absurdity, the, the surrealism of being in a group of 12,000 people where there were like venture capitalists and people that looked like they were straight out of Burning Man sitting at the same table, having conversations. I think one of the funniest moments to me outside of just the absurdity of some of the people that were there was <laughs> I was walking when I was walking out of the Andrew Huberman, there was somebody on the phone that literally used the term. He said EBITDA and psilocybin in the same sentence. And if you don't know what EBITDA is, I'm jealous of you. And, uh, <laughs> it was like, it literally stopped me in my tracks for a second. And I was like, did I just, did I just hear that? And I just laughed so hard at the absurdity of that. And yet here we are, this is it. Biggest psychedelic conference in history so far guarantee it is going to continue to expand, to grow. And I'm hopeful about that. I'm hopeful about the branches of that network that I can be a part of. I'm hopeful that there are people that are interested in integration, that are interested in breath work, that are interested not just treating this as a recreational activity. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It has its set and setting as well. And also that as more people explore these states, that they are going to find themselves in a place where integration is, is needed. That there is a place for people like me that are interested in helping people in the transformation. And I look forward to the next one because if 12,000 people came to this, I can't imagine what it's going to be like next year, next time. So I just think that's a wonderful way to end season six of the podcast. And this has been such an amazing season. There's been some really cool guests. Uh, I met so many people there at the conference that I talked to about my podcast and they're like, oh, um, any episodes you recommend? And I'm like, man, there's so many, especially recently. The good news is the entire seventh season is already recorded except for the, my solo episodes. And I am going to take a little bit of a break so that I can continue to improve this podcast for you. Um, because the audience has really grown this last season. I'm anticipating that it's going to continue to grow. And I really want to take this seriously. I think one of the things that I have dropped the ball on this, uh, since going to YouTube is having a regular weekly release. And that's something I'm planning on changing. That's why I'm pausing so that everything can be a little bit more organized and streamlined and I can be a little bit more proactive rather than reactive because 
I appreciate you. I appreciate you being here. I want you to continue to be excited and support the podcast as do I. And uh, I'm committed to continuing to improve. (laughs) The whole seventh season is planned out pretty much most of eight and nine also, which is really, really cool. Really excited about that. So excited to uh, bring that to you. I will be doing a trailer episode and announcements on my email. So that's how you'll know uh, that season seven is coming out. And the best way that you can support the podcast right now, sharing it with other people. If you're not subscribed to my email newsletter, please do so. Um, I talk about the podcast on there, share breath work, share meditations, psychedelic integration. Um, and outside of that, subscribe to the podcast, you know, um, it would really help if you subscribe to the YouTube channel. We're still growing that. Um, if you're listening to the podcast on an audio platform, leave a review, leave a rating. The last time I looked, there were 105 people following the podcast on Spotify And when I go on to Spotify, there's like five reviews. It takes two seconds and it really, really helps me. This is still a one man operation. I appreciate your support. I am obviously committed to continuing this project. And so if you can help spread the word, share it with somebody that you think would love it and help the algorithms by subscribing and leaving reviews, leaving comments, uh, you know, leaving ratings. It is a wonderful way to help support me that doesn't cost you anything. And that's, uh, that's pretty great. There's a vital point right there. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening to me rant. This ended up going a lot longer than I thought it would, but I also had a lot to say. Until next time, my friends, remember that the vital point is to practice as my recent meditation teacher, David Nickterm says, words don't cook rice. And so take what you've learned from this podcast, from the meditations and breath work and brain exercises and journaling prompts that we've shared with you and apply them and keep practicing. I'll see you next season on the vital point.